Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett, and we're almost here. We're getting closer to week one against the Dolphins. We're going to chat with Andrew Callahan from the Herald, get an early look as the Pats travel down to Miami early. Hopefully that helps them out because we know historically they do struggle in Miami. So I did want to start with Mac Jones because based on where this roster is at right now, they're going to need Mac to make a big leap in year two, not just a small improvement, but a big leap if they want to get back to the postseason where, of course, they were last year. So one of the issues that we saw at the end of the season was after the bye week, the Patriots really struggled. And one of the big things there was is the defense completely took a step back. After the bye week, the Patriots defense, and a lot of this has to do with Judon not showing up. He was not the same player after the bye. But if you just look at it, last four games of the season, the Patriots defense was 20th in EPA. And it's just a good way to judge a team on a play-by-play basis. Prior to the bye week, They were second in EPA. So they went from an elite defense to a really bad defense in the final four weeks of the season. And based on where the defense is at right now, of course, J.C. Jackson, not part of the problem. It would feel like it would be a massive achievement if this Patriots team can get to the top 10. I'm not saying they're the 20th best defense in the NFL, but it'd be tough to see them getting into the top 10, which tells you that they're going to need more from their quarterback. And even if you look at that defense last year with J.C. Jackson, Some of those numbers were not as great as maybe the record would indicate when they go on the seven-game winning streak. If you think about the teams they beat, okay, so the one real impressive win was against the Chargers and Justin Herbert. But outside of that, you had the Jets in there. And remember, that was mainly Mike White. You had the Panthers with Sam Darnold. He had the three interceptions. The Browns didn't have Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt. Atlanta was a brutal team with no Ridley. Tennessee, no A.J. Brown, no Derrick Henry. And then the Bills, of course, we all remember the crazy weather game. So when Mac had that defense that was really good for those seven weeks, even though the competition was not great, Mac was really good. 
But in the last four games of the season, when Mac didn't have that elite defense and more pressure was put on Mac, he wasn't the same player. So if you look at Mac's last four games of the season, he was 82 of 137. So that's 59.9%, six touchdowns and five picks. And remember, three of his six touchdowns in the final four games came against that horrible Jaguars team. So now the question becomes going forward, and the Patriots go one and three there. Can you win games because of Mac? Last year, Mac, and this isn't an indictment on him. This is what he was asked to do. Go out there. Don't fuck it up. Don't turn it over. Hand the ball off. Play behind that great defense. That is what Mac was asked to do. But now the question becomes, can you win games because of Mac? That's what he needs to prove this season. Because I don't see this like the 2013 Seahawks with Russell Wilson in year two, where Wilson had some guys that will probably end up in the Hall of Fame in the Richard Shermans of the world, the Bobby Wagners of the world. Heck, Earl Thomas had an outstanding career. And you had Marshawn Lynch, great postseason running back, great running back in general. The Patriots just are not there from a roster construction. So they're going to need their quarterback to take it to a different level this year. And I'm high on Mac. But if you look at some of the issues he had last year, when trailing, when the Patriots were trailing in games, there were 22 quarterbacks in the league that attempted 200 passes. Max passer rating was 73.4. That was 19th among those 22. The only guys that were worse in terms of their passer rating when they were trailing in games, Trevor Lawrence on that garbage Jaguars team, Zach Wilson, who we all know as a rookie, had a very difficult year, and Sam Darnold, who's injured and lost his job in Carolina this offseason. So those are the only guys that Mac had a better passer rating then. And you look at the fact that Mac had 11 interceptions last year when the Patriots were trailing in games. He only had 13 on the season. So 11 came when they were losing, when it was put on Mac. The only quarterback that had more interceptions when trailing last year was Trevor Lawrence. So it's an issue. Mac has got to be better when he's playing from behind, especially considering you're playing a lot of elite offenses this year. You look at Mac when he was leading, when the defense was good, Mac was really good. 22 quarterbacks. At a minimum of 120 passes when leading. Well, Mac, during those situations, a 129.9 rating, which was fifth in the NFL. So Mac, really good when he has the lead. When he doesn't, it's an issue. So with Mac, he's proven he can win when he can play on schedule. But can he be the reason you win games? You look at Joe Burrow last year, and Joe Burrow took a step forward when he was trailing in games last year, completed nearly 79% of his passes and had a 97.4 rating. That's the next step for Mac. So if you look at these quarterbacks that have taken the leap in year two, okay, Herbert, I'm not going to put in that category because he was really good as a rookie. Joe Burrow, huge leap last year. Okay, completion percentage went from 65.3 up to 70.4. Rating went from 89.8 up to 108.3. Of course, his rookie season, he got hurt. Yards per game went up as well. Then you look at Kyler Murray, who took a big step from 19 to 20 his second year. Now, I'm not the biggest Kyler Murray fan, but if you look at the numbers, way better in year two than year one. And then there's Lamar Jackson the previous season who won the MVP, broke Michael Vick's record for the most rushing yards. Passer rating went through the roof from 83.5 up to 113.3. So if you look at those three guys, first of all, with Lamar, that's a unique situation that the Patriots certainly cannot duplicate. They essentially built an entire offense around Lamar Jackson's ability to run the football. There's not many guys in the NFL, not many guys in the history of the league like Lamar. So you kind of throw that one out the window because there's nothing really the Patriots can take from that. The other two guys, you look at Burrow and Murray. Well, what do those two guys have in common? Their teams went out and got them top weapons. The Cardinals traded for DeAndre Hopkins in 2020. He was third in receptions and he was third in yards. So you got Kyler Murray, an elite alpha receiver. The Bengals did the same thing. Now, they did it 
in a different manner. They traded for a guy like Jamar Chase, or I should say they drafted Jamar Chase, unlike the trade of Hopkins. Chase goes fourth overall. Last season, all he did as a rookie, fourth in yards, second in yards per reception, 18 yards per reception, absolutely insane. And he was third in touchdowns. Okay. Even if you look at Josh Allen, who this is a little bit different because he made his leap in his third year, not his second year. Allen, the Bills traded for Stephon Diggs. And remember, he led the NFL in 2020 with 127 receptions, and he was first in yards. So this has been a proven formula across the league. We've seen it three consecutive seasons. Go get your young quarterback, an elite weapon, and that quarterback will develop. Obviously, the Patriots aren't there. They do not have that type of player to help Mac Jones. So the one thing I look at with Mac Jones, and you're trying to figure out how does he make that leap, because I can't envision the Patriots being good if Mac doesn't take a big leap. I'm not talking about a small step, a big leap. So Mac Jones is really good when he gets the ball out of his hands quickly. And most quarterbacks are better when they throw under two and a half seconds compared to over two and a half seconds. But it's night and day with Mac. You're talking about he completes 73.3% of his passes when the ball comes out under two and a half seconds and 60.3 when he's over two and a half seconds. So that's a schematic thing. And one thing I look at is, well, they should have a better screen game, the Patriots. If you look at last year, Mac Jones, 50 of 56 on screens, that's 89.3%. And he was only 16th in attempts, though. You look at his final season at Alabama, 13 games, he was 85 of 87, that's 94.1%. So Mac Jones, if you just take take those numbers, and look, obviously it's not going to be the same going from college to the NFL. But you're talking about 6.7 attempts out of screens per game at Alabama. That number was down to 3.3 last year. So they get to do a better job establishing a screen game because you have the personnel to be able to do it if you're the Patriots. And if you look at Mac's numbers on those screens last year, his passer rating of 101.6, only two quarterbacks were better than him in the entire NFL with a minimum of 50 attempts on screens. So it's something that you certainly can take advantage of. You look at even a guy like Bolden last year, who was not nearly as dynamic as Ramondre Stevenson. 18 targets, 18 receptions, 9.8 yards per reception. It was a good part of the offense. Damian Harris, six targets, six receptions. Stevenson was only targeted twice on screens. This is a guy that should be getting more screens. At Oklahoma, he was pretty good on them, although it was a small sample size. But it's just something where you look at Max skill, which he can get the ball out quickly. He's good when he does that. You have a running back that can make things happen after he has the ball in his hands. This is the type of guy that you should be taking advantage of. So that's one thing schematically. If Max going to take a leap forward, give him some layups, give him some easy passes, design a better screen game than you had last year. The other thing I mentioned is drop more shot plays, right? Because the Patriots, they did not push the ball down the field at all last year. And Mac actually throws a pretty good deep ball. I'm not telling you that he has this massive arm like Matthew Stafford, but he actually throws a pretty deep ball. And if you look at it last year, only 58 attempts of 20 plus passes, and that was 18th of the NFL. 20 plus yard passes in college. He completed 57.4%, which was really good. And his rating was 123.9, which was third among quarterbacks that attempted at least 20. Now, obviously at Alabama, those guys are getting open because he's playing with premier receivers. So the Patriots don't have that same luxury, but what they do have is a guy that they can try to throw the ball down the field more to in Nelson Aguilar. Now, maybe some of this is just Aguilar will line up in different places, which makes life easier. But Aguilar two years ago with the Raiders in 2020 was one of the better deep threats in the NFL. You look at it that season, he had six touchdowns on passes north of 20 yards. That was tied for second in the NFL. Last year, he only had one. The rating when he was targeted in 2020 was at 115.5. Last year was at 41.9. 
and you just look at the attempts, right? The 20 plus yard passes, 23 targets in 2020, which was 15. And he was at 17 in 2021, which was 32nd in the NFL. So now you have a guy in Aglor where his skill is getting down the football field. The Patriots, if you're going to be successful with Mac Jones, you have to have a deep passing game in some capacity. I'm not saying you do it all the time like Bruce Arians did with Tom Brady or Andrew Luck or Ben Roethlisberger back in the day. I'm not saying that, but you at least got to keep the defense honest. And the Patriots didn't do that for the majority of last season. So that's one thing is screens more shots down the field. And the other thing I look at is if you look at Jimmy Garoppolo, for example, Jimmy last year was second in yards per attempt. So you would think when you see that is, okay, he's pushing the ball down the field because ordinarily that's what happens when you're up in that category. But actually, if you look at his intended air yards per attempt, he was 22nd in the NFL. So he's actually not pushing the ball down the field. What they did in San Francisco is A, they schemed it up. So Jimmy Garoppolo last year, 31.1% of his passes came from either play action or RPOs. That's a really high number. You look at Mac, he was at just 26.1%. And we know Mac is a really good quarterback out of RPOs, 28 of 32 last year. And he was really efficient as a play action passer as well. So you just wonder, can you get more of that stuff? Can you take some of the low hanging fruit in the NFL, the RPOs, the play action game, things that Mac Jones is really, really good at. But also what Jimmy Garoppolo has is yak monsters, right? Guys that are really good after the catch. So you're talking about Kittle and Samuel, et cetera. So they want Jimmy in San Francisco to essentially be a point guard. Get the ball out. Well, that's what Mac can take advantage of, too. That's what Mac is really good at. So I know last week I told you about Kendrick Bourne. They definitely need more from him. But as crazy as this sounds, Jonu Smith. I'm starting to get, I don't want to say frisky, but a little bit more optimistic about Jonu Smith entering this year. So if you look at his numbers last year, 8.5 yak per reception, which was number one amongst tight ends, minimum of 40 targets. The other tight end that the Patriots had was Hunter Henry, 3.0 yak per reception. That was last among tight ends with at least 40 targets. Look, Hunter Henry had a real solid season. But my point with John Smith is just there is more there and the Patriots have got to find a way to involve him more from a schematic perspective. He isn't the player they thought he was, but you got to get something out of the player. And it jumped out to me that Bill Belichick said on Sunday, quote, John, who's had a really good offseason, his fundamentals and technique look good. He put himself in a position, I think, to go out and play well. And that makes me think, okay, maybe they're on to something with John Smith. And I'm not saying he's going to be the guy that everybody thought he was going to be two years ago. But can he at least be a big play threat for you, which the Patriots didn't get from him a season ago? And remember, they restructured his contract, which tells you they're planning on him being around longer. He stayed here for the offseason. The Patriots seem to be higher on him than most people were coming into the season. And with the ability he has as an athlete, they need more out of him. They need big play threats. And that's what John U. Smith is. Hunter Henry's a nice player and he's a really good contributor for this team, but they need to get something out of John U. Smith because he's more of that guy that can give a defense headaches if he could actually catch the ball. That remains to be seen. But I'm optimistic right now. I'm trying to be optimistic about the Patriots. Ramondre Stevenson. This is another guy that needs to be involved more. 10.4 yak per reception last year. He was not targeted much, but when he was, he was really good. So if you look at it on the season, that was one of the best among running backs, third in the NFL, minimum 10 targets, but he wasn't targeted much. Bill Belichick talked about him. It's something that he now has shown he can do in terms of pass catching. It might even become a strength. His attention to details of his route running have certainly shown up in practice, and hopefully they'll show up in games now. So this is something that I'm looking for from Stevenson. Get the ball in his hands, because when he has the ball in his hands, 
We saw last year, big plays come. He runs guys over. He was second in the NFL in attempts per broken tackle. So he runs guys over. He's actually really shifty. He lost a little bit of weight in the offseason. They've got to find a way to get more out of Ramondre Stevenson because he's one of the most talented offensive players on the team. And I just look at guys like Jacoby Myers and Hunter Henry. They're like station-to-station baseball. They can't hit doubles. They're not going to hit home runs. And when I look at some of these other guys that I know it sounds crazy because they didn't give you a ton last year, the John O. Smiths, the Kendrick Bournes. Bourne did give you a lot last year. Ramondre Stevenson wasn't used as much as maybe you'd like him to be used. Nelson Aguilar didn't give you a lot, but maybe we're finding out now that was more about how he was used than his actual ability on the field. These are the type of guys that you need to get more out of next season. you got to use these guys' specific skills, right? Aguilar, for example, get him down the field. That's what he's good at. Get him down the field. Jonu Smith, great after the catch guy. Scheme it up. Get him open. They did it in Tennessee at times. The Patriots should be able to as well. And Stevenson, just get him in space because he's just really good when he gets in space. So, yes, it's unfortunate that if you're looking at how most of these quarterbacks take the leap in year two, it's getting that elite weapon. The Patriots don't have that. So they have got to be creative and they've got to find other ways to do it. And isn't this the reason the Patriots changed the offense? Because Aguilar didn't take to it last year. Jonu Smith didn't take to it last year. Isn't this part of the calculus with making this change from a schematic perspective? Try to get more out of these players. And look, maybe it just sucks. Maybe the Patriots offense is a shitty offense all season long and we're complaining about the play calling. But I have to imagine a big part of why they made these changes is try to get more out of these guys that they spent a ton of money on in free agency. So that's my hope, that they can scheme this up and get these guys more involved so this offense can at least be something that you're excited to watch every week because what we saw in the preseason was not particularly great. All right, a lot more to get into. We'll get into the Patriots offense and look forward to week one with Andrew Callahan from the Boston Herald next. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now from the Boston Herald and the Pats Interference Podcast, it is Andrew Callahan. Andrew, thanks so much for taking some time, man. We're almost at week one. I can't wait. Let's play for some keeps, finally, please. (laughs) I know, it's been too long. So, hey, let's start with Kendrick Bourne because I feel like you were ahead of the curve on this in the preseason, or I should say training camp, where he was really just non-existent. What do you think happened to Bourne this offseason and the training camp in general? Because it felt like most people thought he could have a breakout season. Yeah, it's funny. I keep making calls about this to people close to Bourne and within the team, uh, and they stop picking up because they know I have the same question. And they just go, I think it's a function of everyone has a couple bad weeks uh, of work. Sometimes that doesn't mean being sent home from a preseason game. But he's fighting for targets in a way that he didn't last year. He's one of the clear top three guys. Now he's in a top five mix until Thornton gets hurt. And then on the personal side, look, it's it's odd because he settled down. Like he recently got buried. He's someone who's found God. Like everything should be good with him. You just don't see the production on the field. So they're banking on more time just, you know, swinging back his way and him getting to find his old self. But he's just, it's not been there. He had the fewest catches in training camp once they put the pads on. 
Yeah, that's shocking to me. So going back to last year, this was an issue for him too, right? Like right when he came over from San Francisco, there wasn't like big expectations when they signed him. He kind of got off to a slow start then as well, right? Yeah, I mean, he, he didn't have a stellar camp, but you're definitely going into that year as, you know, they're going to count on him because they didn't really have much other choice. You have Kobe Myers, of course, coming back. It was now Aguilar who's playing peekaboo every other practice. And Bourne was the steady Eddie. And then he breaks out during the season. And he always had some underlying numbers you know, his yards after catch relative to expected or his separation stuff that, that portended well. Like I remember previewing him as a good target for them at free agency. That showed up once they started playing for keeps and they get assimilated in the system. Like I know he was very well liked by that staff. And as someone who, you know, I mentioned he got married, Bill let him take one of two minicamp practices, mandatory minicamp practices off. And that was a lot to do with his work inside the building and obviously production on the field. Yeah, it's interesting. So, I mean, I hope he gets going once the season kicks off. But another guy is interesting, too. The move that happened late last week is they restructured Jonu Smith's contract, which makes me think, Andrew, that they're higher on the player than maybe the fan base is. And they think they're going to get more out of Jonu Smith this season or a lot more than they did last year, because wouldn't that indicate they're going to keep him around? Yeah. And I think it's, you know, due to his contract, he, he's going to be here in 2023 where there's no, you know, breaking news there just due to the guarantees. But it's interesting because he might see it all the way through 2024 based on how far they push this money back in terms of, you know, spreading out that signing bonus. I think for John, look, like the simplest argument for him getting better is it can't get any worse. Like this was less than 300 yards. He had one more touchdown than you did and I did last season. And look, I think the contract, when he became the third highest paid tight end in the league, it didn't resonate with his staff, right? Like you're, you're all in the numbers. He's never eclipsed 500 yards in a season. And they were banking on, betting on with their actual Robert Kraft money that he will eclipse that and enter his prime. So they've tweaked the system. I think they're going to do a better job of getting him in some one-on-one situations where, you know, he was breaking tackles and a third is receptions in Tennessee. Like that's a guy you need one-on-one in its space. And I think they're going to do more of that this year. Well, so do you think with some of these guys that they had last year that they didn't get a ton out of the Aguilors and of course, John Smith, do you think like this system change as much as it's been criticized throughout the preseason? We know it's been a slow process, but do you think it helps some of those newer guys compared to some of the guys like Myers that's been here for a long time? I think they're hoping, but this is, it's a really interesting case to me, like the power of the quarterback, because if you build an offense that helps, like you mentioned, John Smith and Nelson Aguilar, supposedly the offensive line, which seemed to take the summer off, but it hurts Mac Jones. Like how much does that offense actually benefit you given how much weight is on the quarterback's shoulders? Because Max stats, you look in training camp, you go down the preseason, everything is worse in terms of efficiency, total production, tight end, uh, touchdown to intercept ratio, sacks, all that. So I think it will help them, but it's got to be more than it seems to be hurting Mac, which is has been fairly obvious, whether you're just watching during the preseason or you're there kind of at every practice like some of us. So do you think that's more on guys don't know where they're supposed to be, the offensive line issues, or do you think it's something wrong with Mac individually like himself? Well, I think it's a lot of a side of the offensive line. Like we have to start there and they would tell you, you know, we're only practicing pads maybe 10 times and the running game's got to get sorted out. If you don't have the running game, defenses are going to tee off. And the Patriots defense did plenty of being off here in training camp. So they'll progress. But I think because he's a pocket bound passer, right? Like we're not seeing him duck out three quarters, you know, arm slot, sling it 60 yards like a Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. He's relying on them. We can't have a conversation about Matt Jones as a quarterback like we would an NBA star who can seal the deal in the last two minutes. He's reliant on them. But I think they're they're working through new terminology. I know they had a major offensive meeting after one particularly bad practice like three, four weeks ago that was described to me as kind of a come-to-Jesus moment. Like, we need to figure mm. out the protections. Because, again, 
Mac is so reliant on those, what they do up front, because he can get the ball up quickly, but he's still got to hit his third step on a three-step drop before he gets it out, and it just wasn't happening early in camp. Yeah, what do you think the relationship is like right now with him and Patricia in terms of just like the game day stuff? Because I thought it was bizarre in that last preseason game, the Friday night game, because it was weird the first couple, Patricia and Joe Judd switching off, but Patricia would be calling the plays and then when Mac would go to the sidelines, Patricia would be talking to the offensive line and then Mac would go over to him. It just, that feels like a weird formula to me, Andrew. Yeah, it is weird. And I'm glad to hear you say that, Brian, because <laughs> we're starting to get put back from fans who are sick of us asking Bill, like, what's the deal with the play calling situation as if this is normal, right? Like 32 people <laughs> in the NFL, you know, 31 know who's going to call plays on Sunday. They'll happily tell you, yeah, it's this guy. The Patriots, eh, we'll find out. And thank God, because we're about to find out. But you're right, it is weird. And I think their relationship is good based on Max's comments after the second preseason game. You know, Matt Patricia is one of the most knowledgeable coaches he's ever been around. And, and this and that. the same things that anyone who praises Matt Patricia goes to. He's brilliant. I mean, the guy was a literal rocket scientist. But secondarily, I think it's just a stretch for him. Like Matt Patricia, even more than Mac Jones, in my opinion, is in a position to fail. Of course, if he fails as the de facto OC and the offensive line coach, mind you, if he hasn't coached offensive line since the Bush administration, then everyone else is going to fail because it starts with him. He has his hands everywhere, in my opinion, just, just too many drugs. Yeah, and I understand like some of this has to do with like they're not using titles because they're not paying Patricia like they would if he was the actual offensive coordinator. But Andrew, one of the things that I really like about, say, for example, Sean McVay is he understands like what he isn't and he goes out. First guy he hires was Wade Phillips. Then a couple of years later, he picks off a guy like Brandon Staley. What do you think it is about the Belichick thing where he doesn't want to go outside the family tree? And it felt like if there was any time to do it, losing McDaniels, this would have been the time to get some new ideas in here. Yeah, I think when you look at the offense and you got to zoom out because, you know, like you mentioned, they're not going to go outside the family tree. And it's part that they are they want to stick to their system almost above all else. And it is, you know, uh, flexible, right? Like they've run some two tight end sets. Everyone went back to the Gronk and Hernandez days. They go three wide with Randy Moss and downfield. And it sounds like this year. They intend to do some sort of strange hybrid of that. Belichick is adhering to that because there are some elements of this when you talk about option routes or having your run game so complementary or built off of your, you know, your play action passing game, marrying those looks. He's done for 30 years. Like we all talked about this outside zone game as something new. You go back to 1992 Cleveland Browns offensive film. They're doing that back then in Belichick's first shot at running his own team and also running his own offense because he called plays that year. So when they bring people in, like they're more as a consultant or we'll, we'll blend in your ideas to what we're doing. They're keeping that system in place. So he saw Matt Patricia as this kind of free agent addition two years ago. They bring in, he's a consultant, senior football advisor, whatever you want to call him. And he just sees him as someone who can coach because he said that at the league meetings. Look, if you can coach, you can coach because all these concepts, offense and defense are kind of interconnected. So if you understand one side, you can learn the other right or wrong. That's kind of the, the approach here in the philosophy. Yeah, I guess we're going to find out really quickly. Now, in terms in terms of Mac individually, we heard Tom House in the offseason say, hey, I can increase his arm strength. Mac goes and he works with Tom House. Have you noticed anything different with Mac's arm? Does it look stronger to you? Yeah, I'd say so. And, and it's not even so much like, okay, Mac, stand at the goal line. Let's see how far downfield you can throw and measure. He gets to like the, you know, the plus 33 or whatever it is. It's sometimes on these kind of drive throws, right? Like you need to hit a deep out. 20 yards downfield and from the opposite hatch. Like, that's the stuff you need to see with him because he's always been mechanically sound. Like, you go back to him as a prospect, that was among the first things you heard about him. He's pro-ready because there's not a whole lot to add there. But we saw him first week of training camp 
staying after practice 20, 30, 40 minutes after practice. And a lot of it was on the deep ball, but not just the go routes or the post, what have you. It was those third and 10 kind of throws got to have it. Like that's where I see a little bit of improvement, but I haven't been playing for Keats and he hasn't seen the starting defense outside of practice yet. So Miami's going to be a big reveal in, in small ways like that, but obviously in a macro sense with whole offense. Yeah, no doubt about that. I mean, and we'd like to see him get us some reps against some first teamers here because obviously the Raiders game, that, that from my perspective is a pretty embarrassing performance from the offense in general. But speaking of the offense, Ramondre Stevenson, like some of the outlying numbers on him, the broken tackles per attempt were really good. I'm wondering, Andrew, how are they going to divvy this up? I heard Bill waxing poetic about his ability now in terms of a receiver, which is something I wish they did more of last year rather than Brandon Bolden. But how much more playing time does Stevenson get this year? Of course, Harris is the main back, but how much more do we see of Stevenson? It's funny. Isn't Bill waxing poetic a whole lot more this summer? Like, I'm waiting for my roses, to my bouquet to be tossed to me. It was Mac <laughs> at the start of camp. It's on to remind right now, like some defensive guys have gotten it, but no. Ramondre, I think you're going to see a lot of, and I've been on this since the spring for the reasons you mentioned. This is a guy as a rookie we saw establish himself as the best pass catching back on that team once James White went down. Better than Damian Harris, no question about it. He's a more creative runner than Damian Harris and started breaking tackles at a higher rate than Damian Harris. So right now, with Ty Montgomery temporarily shelled, you're looking at Damian Harris in early downs and Ramondre Stevenson on third. And that's been the pecking order throughout camp. The only issue when Ty Montgomery's name came up a little bit was when you see them go to two-minute drills because I think they like the inherent flexibility of Ty can play receiver one snap and go to running back and that creates problems for the defense that needs to hurry the hell up. But as far as Stevenson goes, I think we talk about a year-two lead for Mac Jones. Some talk about it for Christian Barmore. This kid is primed for as big of a year-two leap as anybody because of the natural talent he has and also someone who fantasy people know this. He's lost some weight this offseason. The, the, the worst sign of a running back is gaining extra muscle and pounds. He's already lost weight. He's better in his role and he's got a clear role unlike last year. Yeah, I cannot wait to see him because what we saw last year was it was very tempting to say, hey, maybe play this guy more than Harris. Not that I don't like Harris, but I'd love to see more of Stevenson. Switching gears to the defense, what's your biggest concern there? Is it the corner situation? Yeah, definitely, because you know they feel better than they expected in talking to people inside the team at corner, and it's been Jalen Mills is elevated to do a, a starting caliber, like legitimate corner, no question about it, not a number one or a shutdown guy. Definitely number two. And then Jonathan Jones, their second best corner, who's, you know, set up camp and made a career in the slot, is bounced outside. But the depth behind them is really suspect. Like, you're talking about a guy like Sean Wade, who was a fifth-round pick two years ago and didn't play as a rookie. Jack Jones is a fourth-round rookie who was felt as a reach. And it might have been due to some off-field stuff, but that's a guy who, you know, is going to gamble sometimes. So it's really a question of Jonathan Jones because he is the second best corner. He's also five foot nine, and he's already kind of getting picked on in joint practices and sometimes in the preseason games against bigger guys. But if he holds up, you know, corner's going to be better than I think anyone expected them included. Yeah, what about Judon? Because I heard him talking this week about finishing stronger because last year, pre-bye week, he had like 12 and a half sacks and he was like kind of a fringy defensive player of the year candidate. We're talking about how great of a signing that was. What happened to him at the end of the year? And do you think he can prevent that from happening this season? Yeah, I think teams finally went like, screw it. Okay, we'll throw it back his way or a tight end. Like you look at him and he's a guy who, before he signed with the Patriots, earned so many unblocked sacks, which would typically be a red flag for someone who's a pass rusher. Like if most of your stats are fluffed up by just someone rolling out the red carpet for you, you might not be a bona fide pass rusher. So he earns a lot of sacks on extended plays, but he's not a flashy player. So after the bye week, that happened to get some more attention. The second thing was he got COVID. So 
you know, he recovered in time, didn't miss a whole lot of snaps, but he only had two quarterback hits over those last five games that you mentioned. And no surprise, the Patriots sack rate plummeted, okay? And this is against teams like even Miami and Jacksonville when you throw in the Bills and, of course, the Colts in there. But, like, it's on Judon now a little bit more with Barmore, but I think the pass rush, you can make an argument and a good one that their concerns up front are just as dire as they could be at corner based on that lack of depth behind them. Yeah, and it feels like they're going to need a lot from those guys up front, which brings me to Christian Barmore, because the second half of the season, Andrew, I felt like he was a monster. I loved it when they traded up for the guy because you felt like he's a first-round talent. Are you in on the bandwagon that he's going to have a breakout season? Yeah, I'm in the back of the bandwagon. Like, okay. <laughs> bro, you know, for plastic for the Stevenson, the Seasonson hype train. But with Barmore, he's had a quiet summer. And that's kind of gone, I wouldn't say underreported because, you know, how much of this is predictive, we don't really know. But he had zero hurries in 23, I think it was, pass rushing snaps in the preseason. Two sacks in team periods behind guys like Anthony Jennings and Josh Uche. I'm not saying they're going to be better than them this season, but you just want to see a little bit more because he's also you know, worked so much in his run defense. So those are his words, not mine. In the offseason, it doesn't take away from your pass rush, but you kind of imagine how much if he had traded some of that time to to boost his own strengths as opposed to fixing his weaknesses, maybe we would have seen a little bit more this summer. I'm still there. I mean, the kids, like you said, first round talent. Yeah, and then the other thing is just looking at this Miami team, I believe Bill's words were it's the $64,000 question, what Mike McDaniel's offense is going to look like. For Miami. So I feel like this is maybe one of the more polarizing teams, Andrew, in the entire NFL. How do you feel about entering this week one matchup against this Miami team? I'm going to do my best not to have a hard to a stance because I'm, I'm it's just going to destroy my mentions. But I think sticking with the scheme, look, it's, I think, a terrible matchup for the Patriots, not only just offensively, but defensively. Sticking with the offense for a second, the last time he saw Mike McDaniel, the 49ers rolled in here and they had close to a 20 point lead at halftime, mostly running the ball. Like, He was the run game coordinator in San Francisco. They toyed with some of the Patriots' basic rules. And that 2020 defense lost a lot of guys, you know, Chung, Hightower, and opt-outs in the COVID year. But they put them in positions where it was not, you know, you have a shot if you do everything right. It was just lose-lose. Like, that. that's kind of offense in the NFL today is we understand your rules on defense and force you to break them because the way we move guys in motion or overload one side of the field. And so mcdaniel has a history of success against bill belichick he's got better weapons he's got an offensive line and i think for the patriots not only just not knowing what's going to come you already have one-on-one matchup problems on the outside with tyree kill and Jalen Moss. so he doesn't need to get all that creative he doesn't need to go in his bag if you're mike mcdaniel you just manufacture one-on-one matchups what they did an excellent job of it was kind of debo samuel's breakout coming out party in 2020 here in new england like it could get ugly fast and then the patriots like they were last time in there in miami have to play for Miami. All right. And Andrew, it's interesting to me because really since the Raiders game last week, we started to hear some like positive momentum with this team. How much do you think that is true and how much of that is just the Patriots trying to put something out there that's more positive than what we saw in the field? I think it's more like that, right? You know, the longer time passes, you know, you start to feel okay about, you know, a bad loss or a a bad draft pick. And then you start to talk yourself into it. We're not going to have football you know, for almost two weeks from the time that game was played up until they're going to kick off here on Sunday. So that's a lot of time to talk yourself into things. And they, I'll tell you, they gave, you know, players off had four days. Um, coaches had two back-to-back days, probably the last time until, you know, early February, no matter how the season ends. So they feel pretty comfortable. I just don't know if I'm there yet. And I've heard things that they did their their absolute best to shield the real offense from us, even in practices where they need to just get this work in and joint practices. So there's a lot of, as I was told, bells and whistles still to be unveiled. But 
If you're not getting your basic stuff down, uh, personally, I don't have a lot of confidence in that more superfluous stuff when it comes to schemes. So yeah, I think it was bad. It was a small sample. All the qualifiers you need to throw out there about the summer and the preseason. But we could also be having the flip side of this conversation if they look great. Oh, but it was a small sample. And ultimately, we don't. And it's an issue. Yeah, it does kind of. It's funny that you say that like they're hiding stuff that we haven't seen all the bells and the whistles. This, this isn't Randy Moss, right? In 2007, where he didn't play in the preseason and then he first plays against in that week one game. You're like, holy crap. It feels like this is a lot different than that. I don't know how high I can be on the team based on just some of the issues they've had. That is Andrew Callahan from the Boston Herald. Andrew, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Great stuff. Not a problem. Anytime, Brian. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddle boards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Thanks so much to Andrew Callahan of the Boston Herald. Really getting ready for week one of the NFL season. Cannot wait for that Dolphins game on Sunday. The Patriots, of course, went there early. Hopefully that helps them out because they suck in Miami historically. I did want to get to the Tom Brady thing, though, because this is interesting to me. Everything that's going on with him and his personal life, et cetera. I do wonder from a football perspective, though, you feel bad for Tom that he's going through this situation right now. But from a football sense, it kind of reminds me of 19. Because remember, Brady didn't really want to be in Tampa. He just left the team for 11 days to deal with the family matter. Remember, we had the whole situation with Miami. He retired. He really didn't want to play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this season. And it sort of reminds me of what happened in 19 when the negotiations got so ugly between Brady and the Patriots. Remember, in that training camp, he said about his contract, have I earned a contract extension? I don't know. That's up for talk show debate. It was the famous clip that we played all the time. What do you guys think? Should we take a poll? Talk to Mr. Kraft. Come on. Remember, Brady was pissed about this. And I would have been too if I was Tom, because remember what Bill then put in his contract? He got these incentives where he had to be top five in passer rating, completion percentage, yards per pass attempt, touchdown pass, and passing yards. So for each one of those, he get an additional $1 million. This is Tom Brady. Six-time Super Bowl champion Tom Brady, and you were essentially making him sing for a supper. And he doesn't reach any of the incentives, and he knows it's not going to happen. Gronk retired in 19. How is he going to reach the same numbers? And remember, the Patriots, when they go on that run at the end of 18, they morph into more of a run-heavy football team. So Tom knew that the passing attempts would go down. So that year, passer rating 19th, obviously doesn't get that million. Completion percentage 27th, doesn't get that million. Yards per pass attempt 27th, doesn't get that million. Touchdown passes, 13th, doesn't get that million. Passing yards, 7th, doesn't get that extra $1 million. So Tom was salty entering the season. He would famously say he was the most miserable 8-0 quarterback of all time. And I just look at the situation with Tampa, and I'm sympathetic and empathetic to everything that's going on off the field with Tom, but it just feels like this is a weird situation for him in Tampa this year where you are getting those 19 vibes considering the fact that it didn't really feel like Tom wanted to be part of the equation anymore in Tampa Bay. So it is going to be something to monitor. Now, the good thing for Tom is the NFC is not nearly what the AFC is. 
Unfortunately for him, though, his team's just suffering a ton of injuries to begin the season. All right, I did want to mention this real briefly on the Red Sox. They win five in a row. They're still seven and a half back. I mean, the Blue Jays continue to win in third. So unfortunately, they're playing well, but they are not making up any ground. And one thing stuck out to me today. So they send Bobby Dahl back down to Worcester. And Bobby Dahl back on the season, we all know, was horrible. Strikeout rate was 227th out of 233 hitters, 33.2%. So it did kind of remind me of Heim Bloom, where one of the bets he made in the offseason was Bobby Dahlback could pretty much play 80% of the games. Didn't work out. Dahlback is not a major league first baseman. I don't have anything against him personally. He seems like a great guy. It's just, it's not going to work here. I hope he gets another start with a different organization. And then, so his plan at first base was not executed by Dahlback. And then, of course, he traded Diekman at the deadline, who was his big offseason move in terms of the bullpen. So the two things, he tried to fix the bullpen with Diekman. He's gone. Bobby Dahlback, he thought, could play every day. He's down in Worcester with the AAA team. So that did mean that Tristan Cassis is up. And on Sunday, of course, he gets his first hit as a big leaguer. I mean, that was a bizarre scene before the game. As long as he hits, I, I don't give a shit. But I mean, that was bizarre. This guy's out here laying on the ground, tanning before the game. I mean, that was absolutely bizarre. But one thing you like about Cassis is because now we got to look forward to 2023. Let him get his feet wet, wet for the rest of the season. And Cora said he's going to play pretty much every day. So I'm excited to see him get this opportunity. He made a nice play at first base from a defensive perspective, which you never really saw with Dahlbeck. And another thing about Cass is that he brings to the table. Obviously, we know about the power. That's why he's one of the top three prospects in the Red Sox organization, along with Bayo and Marcelo Mayer. But the other thing is he walks. He had a 14.5% walk rate in AAA. The Red Sox, in terms of their everyday lineup. They don't walk. In fact, Franchi Cordero leads the Red Sox in a walk rate at 10.4%. Cass is 14.5% at the AAA level. And you saw a lot of that in his first game where he does take a lot of pitches. He doesn't swing at pitches out of his own. It kind of reminds you of the Schwarber approach, not to that extent, but it is a nice element to the offense. And if you're looking for a reason to watch the Red Sox the remainder of the season, this is one of the reasons, one of the top prospects in your organization. By the way, not a Bloom guy, a Dave Dombrowski guy. The other thing is this, Bayo, again, was good yesterday. Six innings, or Saturday, I should say. No runs. The In that game, the Rangers just three for 21. He walked just one guy, five strikeouts. And Bayo's been snake-bitten this year with some bad luck. His batting average and his expected batting average against, it's the second-widest gap in all of baseball of guys that have faced at least 150 batters. ERA is 591. The expected ERA is 393 based on the quality of the contact. So these are two guys to monitor the rest of the season. Bayo's going to be in the 2023 rotation. He looks really good. And Cass is just watch him the rest of the season. So if you're looking at positive notes from the Red Sox, this would be two of them entering the stretch run here. Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention real briefly from a Celtics note is, unfortunately, Danilo Gallinari, this sucks. I mean, we thought that, we talked about this last week. We thought he was barely injured. It's just him and not barely injured, but he was going to be able to play. It was a meniscus thing. And then we find out it's a torn ACL, which it's unfortunate for the Celtics because I love that signing, a guy that could space the floor. But, and I am biased because he brought my school its only national championship. I'm all in on the Carmelo Anthony thing now. I'm good with signing Carmelo Anthony. You look at him last year, he actually shot the three ball well on wide open threes, which means the closest defender is at least six feet away. He was 59 of 128. That's 46.1%. The Celtics were 19th in wide open threes at 37.6%. And I do think there's something to Melo being a legend 
in the eyes of some of the players on the team. And I get it. You can make fun of Melo all you want. He didn't win a championship. But I mean, let's be easy with that. What team was Melo supposed to win a championship with? You tell me the Denver team he took to the conference final. So I feel like Melo gets a bad rap. And I'm not telling you that he's like this unbelievable defender. I get it. He sucks on defense, but he's not going to be playing major minutes in the postseason when you want this type of player around that can give you some scoring off the bench. And I do think there's something to Tatum and Jalen Brown, young guys that grew up watching Carmelo Anthony. I think they'll understand and like to play with the guy. I think it'll be fun to be around him, not to mention the fact that Carmelo went through a lot in the NBA, right? I mean, think about Allen Iverson. When he had to transition to not being a superstar anymore, he was done. It feels like the same thing's going to happen to a guy like Russell Westbrook. Give Melo credit. He had to go away from the league for a while because remember, in Oklahoma City, he said he's not going to come off the bench. And it took him a while. It didn't work in Houston. And eventually he gets back with Portland. He was with the Lakers last year, of course. But it does feel like he understands his role in the NBA now. And he's looking for a ring. And if he's going to try to get a ring, I mean, there's not many better places than the Celtics. So I would definitely be in on taking a shot on Carmelo Anthony. Have him hit a couple of open threes. Hang out with the guys. I think it'd be good to have a guy like him around. All right, let's get to some calls. 617-396-7172. That's 617-396-7172. Hey, Brian, it's Abe from New Report. I live in Los Angeles, California now. Um, yeah, my rant is that uh, once for the Mookie trade, which was your number one most annoying storyline from your last show, after the Mookie trade, I decided to uh, divorce the Red Sox until um, until John Henry and his group are gone. Uh, it's the best decision I've ever made in my life. i still got plenty of sports to care about, and uh, I'm not like rooting for the baseball team. I'm just agnostic. Baseball may as well not exist. Um, and it's been wonderful. Uh, I recommend that to everyone else who's frustrated with the Red Sox who try and bloom with this whole uh, with this whole crew. Thank you. Have a good one. <laughs> well, fair enough. You're not alone. A lot of people quit on the Red Sox after the Mookie Betts trade, and I can totally understand why. And as I said last week, I can you can convince me that they had to trade Mookie. You can try to convince me that that's fine, but the return is just quite frankly unacceptable. And now this is the real challenge for Heim Bloom. By the way, Xander Bogarts may win the batting title and he could leave in the offseason. Right now, after the game on Sunday, he took the lead in the American League in terms of he's going to, he has a really good chance to be the batting champion. He passed a rise of the Twins. So maybe it's a Trey Turner if you're replacing Xander Bogarts, but that's going to be difficult to do because Bogarts registers with the fan base. The big thing, though, as we were talking about Mookie, is Devers. He has got to get a contract done with Rafael Devers or you're in the same position. Remember, Mookie entering 2020 didn't have a contract done. And at least they had a bunch of offers to Mookie throughout the years. They've only made one offer to Rafael Devers. If they don't get Rafael Devers signed long term, well, then you're going to have a revolt with the fan base. And I do feel like in some capacity, the ownership group is waking up to this. They realize they need stars to sell their product. They need those guys around or else the fan base is going to start to get more and more pissed off. So hopefully that means they get a deal done with Rafael Devers this offseason. Although I do feel like the Bogarts thing, the relationship, not great, although he wants to be here based on the offers that Bloom has made. I do wonder if that means it's going to be Turner, just because Turner fits the Bloom profile, right? I mean, think about Story, who's playing second base, of course, had some outstanding plays on Sunday, hitting home runs again. I mean, I wish that guy was healthy all year. But Story's a freaky athlete, and that's sort of what Trey Turner is. Turner's not a great defensive shortstop, but he is a freaky athlete, and that does kind of seem like what is enticing to Bloom. All right, we'll be back on Tuesday. A look ahead to the Patriots opener with Dolphins superfan, our host on The Ringer, The Ringer Pod, New York, New York, John Jastrzemski, JJ, my old guy from Syracuse. I still got to get the origin of why the hell he's a Dolphins fan growing up in New York. So 
We'll both make our cases for who finishes higher in the AFC East this season. JJ's really high on the Dolphins. I mean, two is their quarterbacks. I don't know how you can be that high on them, but we'll get into that with JJ. As always, you can leave us a voicemail, 617-396-7172. Again, that's 617-396-7172. Thanks to Jesse Lopez and Steve Cerruti for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. (laughs) 